Well, first off, I miss you guys. I haven't been here in like I don't I don't know. Time's been a blur, but I think it's been three or four weeks. So one, hey, it's good to see you again. Um, uh, but two, I I started off the the message um, for my dad's memorial, uh, thanking everyone, and uh, I thought I would be fine. And then, uh, really, as I started to see so many familiar faces, um, so many faces from my childhood, and, and we were expecting like 150 people, and it was the place held 270, and we ended up having 320 plus standing room only, and it just overwhelmed me with joy, and my mom and my family with joy of seeing so many people that came to honor such a good life. And they're all people that from different parts of life, it was. Uh, the chief of the sheriff's department, his captain, his patrol partner, a ton of law enforcement. And then it was all the youth kids that he poured into over the years. They were there. And it was a bunch of my school buddies. And it was a bunch of kids that he helped coach in sports that I played. And it was all these people that through life that that knew my dad and had uh, walked this road with myself and my mom and my sister as we, we walked this rough road of dementia for six years uh, with my dad. And so... I thank them, and uh, I have to. I have to thank you guys. Um, and it's different because they all knew my dad, and and he had poured into their lives, and the way he lived, and he had such a good name that as he poured into their lives, they were all so eager to to give back and to support our family. And I. I think of you guys. You guys are my church family. And whether you like it or not, we are family. So you're stuck. And you all have come around me, supported me, which has enabled me to to support my mom, to lift her up. And even uh, you guys, just the few times my mom has come, just immediately making her one of, uh, one of your own. And none of you knew my dad. None of you knew him probably ever met him. And so I'm eternally grateful to you uh, as well as everyone of, of his friends, every one of the people that grew up with him. I'm, I'm so th- grateful to you guys eternally for, uh, thank you for stepping into our sorrow. Thank you for uh, week after week. There was not genuinely, I'm not exaggerating, genuinely there was not a Sunday that went by that someone didn't hug my neck and say, uh, I'm praying for your family. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your mom. Uh, You guys really, uh, since my wife and I have stepped into this church, um, kind of marked, it's not your fault, but it's kind of marked the the beginning and the whole process that we've gone through a, a rough time. And so you guys have, you guys kind of inherited at times, I feel like I'm so needy, like I I'm, I'm, I'm constantly the one, like, my heart's breaking up here. And you guys just have never, your well of love that you've poured out to us has, has never run dry. Uh, you've never got tired of me uh, crying up here on stage about something that's, that's going awry. And so I'm eternally grateful as you guys demonstrate the love of Christ by not running from sorrow but, but stepping into it. So uh, let me just say a very long and, and wordy but thank you from the bottom of my heart, I can speak for my <laughs> I'm not going to be able to look at you this whole time. Uh, I can speak for my mom when I say thank you. Uh, and s- 
I didn't do this last service because we were so rushed, but now I'm not rushed, so buckle up. You might want to grab a snack. We'll be here for a while. Um, I have to, uh, I really have to think, and I don't know where you guys are sitting, but uh, Pastor Tony, Pastor Brett, and uh, Pastor Rob, they have, uh, they've been so gracious as uh, between me running and taking off to take care of my wife who is who is going through rough times health-wise and then same thing happening with running and having to put out fires with with my dad um, I frequently have conversations where I don't I don't know what any of this would look like if I worked anywhere else anywhere else um, and so thank you thank you I'm I'm blessed to to be here um, so as I was preparing a message for, uh, for my dad's memorial, there's so many different things that my dad did. As you heard from, from pastor Rob, he had a 32 year career in law enforcement. Um, but the year I was born, his, my grandfather, who was a captain with the sheriff's department, he started a church in my grandma's living room, which was right next door to us. And, uh, that grew, and then they bought a, a Bank of America building in New Hall, which is in Santa Clarita. And my dad and my grandfather and others then went in there and renovated that entire place. My dad's, again, just good at everything, so he's really good with his hands. So they renovated that whole thing. And then my grandfather became the pastor, and my dad became like every other staff member in one. And so he was the administrator. He, he learned the soundboard and then trained a team. And then he, he was naturally a leader with his job, so he trained ushers. And then uh, it's funny. I grew up with my dad singing, and it's so funny now thinking about my dad. Like, my dad was a worship leader, which is so rad. And so he got up and, and sang, and he didn't learn guitar until I learned guitar. So he would just get up and sing his heart out. And I just, I love those memories. Uh, but he did so many things in which with each thing he did, genuinely, I, I know things that I'll say, you'll all in your minds kind of scale back because, of course, I'm going to talk, I'm going to blow him up because he's my dad. But genuinely, he was, he was a special human being. He was, a, he was a special guy, even just to the point of everything he touched, he did so well. He was, uh, the, the phrase for him that fits perfect is jack of all trades, master of many. He was so good at everything he touched. And as a young boy uh, growing up, learning what it's going to look like to be a man underneath him, each one of those things gave me a new story, a new lesson, a new metaphor uh, that I still pull from to this day to learn, to grow. He was the the ultimate follow me as I follow Christ. Um, Christ is who I am. Am looking to, and I, I would, I, I look to him as my Lord and my Savior and my everything. But it's, I'm so blessed to have an, an earthly father, who I can literally look to and see. Okay, how would Dad handle this situation? This situation. How did Dad raise me to react as a man? How did Dad raise me to treat uh, my wife? How did Dad raise me to, to treat my daughter and my boy? How did Dad raise me to treat authority that's over me? How did Dad treat me to? to grab outsiders and bring them in and make them feel at home and had a dad so many different ways. And I I saw him live this out in so many different facets. And I could tell story after story after story, but you guys would really get sick of it. So I'm going to tell one story that as I was preparing um, the message, 
it wasn't some amazing, like I sat down and was really witty and wrote up this amazing metaphor, like tied these stories in and just this whole thing. But it was, it was awesome that I was just thinking about my dad. I was just thinking about stories, fond memories that I have and reliving one story in particular uh, of my childhood. And as I'm laying in bed, just thinking about him, this is just days after he passed. Um, the Holy Spirit just dropped this uh, metaphor, this nugget in my heart and my mind and has forever changed uh, this story that I've, I've thought fondly of for so long. And so I'd like to share that with you guys today and hopefully encourage you and hopefully we'll all leave here today having grown just a little bit. Um, so in 1991, a movie entitled City Slickers came out, if anybody remembers that. Right on. It's uh, It was starring Billy Crystal. It was a comedy, and it was uh, him and his two buddies, city boys from Manhattan, and they, they decide for vacation. They're going on, They're going to go on a cattle herding trip, and they realize, like, these city boys can't hang with the roughneck cowboys and comedy ensues. So years later, a year, two years, I don't remember exactly, but that movie is coming out and premiering on the TV networks. And so my dad did what we all did back then is we didn't have TiVo. We didn't have DVRs. He grabbed that big chunky VHS tape that he had probably recorded a home movie on. He was going to tape right over that and break my mom's heart. <laughs> he popped it in the VCR, set it to record at a certain time. It was way past our bedtime, and we'd watch it later that week, the next week, when time was more convenient. Well, this is all happening in the middle of my baseball se- season. I'm playing Little League. I'm probably around 11 years old, um, and my dad is coaching my baseball team with his patrol partner, Drew who is at the memorial, um, they're coaching together. And they are, they're a blast to see together. And it was a blast hearing from Drew. These guys were hilarious. And their job was to ride around in a squad car together. And it was just, the stories are awesome. But they're coaching my little league. And that was just my childhood. And I don't remember why, but... It was probably with every movie like this as a kid, just a movie sounded cool. But I just remember I really wanted to see City Slickers that we had taped. And I couldn't wait to like finally when when life slowed down and school and baseball and whatever we were doing at the time that we could all sit down and watch it. And uh, days passed to where then no time to watch it. We eventually were scheduled for a night game. And if you've never been involved in Little League, or Little League night games, there's just something genuinely magical about Little League night games. Out in Santa Clarita, you drive down this hill. It's all dark. There's no lights. So you drive down this hill, and it's just black everywhere. And then this just these beautiful bright lights are shining up multiple fields, and it's illuminating the green grass, and it's illuminating that reddish-brown clay. And you get down there, and you have the smell of the chili cheese fries from the snack shack, and you hear all those, like, cleats scratching across, like, this concrete floor of the sidewalk as players and families are running to their games, and the sound of the, the baseball hitting those aluminum bats and cheese. It's just a really cool atmosphere, a magical time as a kid sharing that as my dad's my coach. I just had a blast. 
This night, however, in particular, was not one of my best athletic performances to date. And I don't remember much. I don't remember the beginning of the game, particularly of this. I just remember when things really started to go bad. Uh, That year, I was playing center field, and that year I had worked really hard with my dad and my cousin, who also lived right next door. Uh, I wanted to be a pitcher. And I remember a few games prior, uh, our pitcher struggling. I'm out in center field. Drew Basie, my dad's patrol partner, walks out to the mound, and he's talking to the pitcher. And then I see him waving me in. I was like, yes. And it was the realization of I got to where I want to be, but now I have to perform. It's not like, yeah, I'm pitcher. Now what do I do? I actually have to pitch well. So days had passed, and I was doing good. And uh, I don't remember much of how I got into this position, my memory kicks in when I'm already in a panic. So I'm on the pitcher's mound. I think, I think I have two guys on and I'm pretty sure I had two outs already, but I'm already in a panic that I have. My accuracy is gone. This 11 year old cannot throw the ball over the plate to save his life. And the last thing I want to do is throw the ball. But what do you do? You're standing there. The game waits on you. So you're standing there like, I have to throw the ball, ball, strike, ball, 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 batter, take your base. And then what was kind of a panic turns into full-on chaos in my mind as now I have no leeway. Is I walk one more guy. And these guys just casually get to walk and run home, and that's all on me. I, it's My team didn't miss anything. I just walked a guy right in. And so I'm stuck. I got to keep pitching. Ball, 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 ball. Batter, take your base. Guy comes home, and I'm mortified. My dad was so athletic. He could do any sport first time, and he was so good at it, just natural athlete. And so I inherited his competitiveness. So it drove me insane, even as a little 11-year-old, I was so frustrated that I wasn't good, that I was doing poorly, and I, I'm, I'm crumbling, still stuck, got a pitch, ball, 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 batter, take your base, ball, 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 batter, take your base, and I remember thinking, I remember watching uh, car headlights driving away and going up the hill as other games are ending, <laughs> And the the genuine thought went through my head, how long will they let this go on for? (laughs) Like, we could be here forever, like 1,013 to zero, 1,014 to zero. And I'm just walking, guys, like, hey, you got to throw a strike. And I'm I'm terrified. I have tears are running down my face, uh, just feeling like I'm standing on this mound, which is an island in the middle of the ocean, feel like there's, I have nowhere to go. I can't get myself out of this. There's, there's no rescue, and I just have to keep pitching. I'm embarrassed. I feel like everybody's looking at me. I'm frustrated at the situation. I'm frustrated with me. Just terrible feelings, looking for, like, what do I do? I, I remember feeling genuinely hopeless, and like, when will this inning end, and how will it end? And uh, in one of those thoughts, I just remember the umpire, time, and I look to my right, and you all didn't get to know my dad, but he had a just unmistakable jog. And so I looked to my right, and here comes my dad just jogging out to the mound. And uh, my first thought isn't relief. My first thought isn't, oh, thank goodness. 
this again to give you a little backstory of my dad and this will sound cruel you not seeing the larger picture which was my dad's life but when I played football and I blew my ACL out my dad's finely crafted encouraging words to me were don't be a Nancy that was (laughs) those were the words that he masterfully weaved together that as the whole the concophony of players and coaches yelling I hear my dad's heroic voice yelling don't be a nancy and it was like i he was such my hero that was the fire in my belly i popped up to my feet played the rest of the game just with a knee folded in half um but that was the guy so i as a as a little 11 year old i'm expecting okay he's gonna come out he's gonna when my dad was building you up or tearing me down for for something that I did wrong. He always would have his finger in your face, something, and I'm going to have a finger in my face, and he's going to say, hey, you need to suck it up, toughen up. And ultimately, he's going to take me out of the game because, come on, everybody wants to go home, and I'm keeping us here. And what my dad did that day, I'll never forget. Um, He calmly walks up on the mound, turns his back to the catcher. He had he always had these really kind eyes and he just looks at me for just a second and he just smiles and that alone was bizarre but I'm in a death spiral mentally like my world is just going crazy and so it's not enough to break me out and then he says so calm as if this is a normal thing to say and he looks at me and he goes Hey, you want to watch that movie tonight when we get home? <laughs> and I, I, I genuinely can't describe to you the absolute confusion <laughs> that took over my brain, like tears down my face, so frustrated. And then, wait, what? Where? What are you talking about? And so, like a trance, like he had me in a trance. I didn't know what to say. And he's just staring at me smiling. And so I said, what movie? I, I can't put it together. And he says, City Slickers, do you want to watch that movie when we get home tonight? And not knowing what to do, him fully having me in this, like, his mind game, I don't know what else to say, and I just say, yeah. <laughs> so just like that, he gives me a stiff pat on the shoulder, says, all right, I'll see you when you get back. And runs off to the dugout. And I, this a little 11-year-old kid, I'm standing on the mound realizing for the first time that my dad is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he's, like, done the best Jedi mind trick ever on me. And what was so amazing, I remember thinking this as a kid, like, okay, he's playing a trick on me. And the more I thought about it, the more it worked. The more he just had me thinking about... Like, I, okay, I know I need to pitch. He's talking about City Slicker. He's trying to distract me, but I really want to see that movie. I can't wait to get home and see that movie. And then next thing you know, he has me like in his own, in that trance. And what's crazy is I don't remember anything else about that game. Like my memory started and stopped there. I just remember I got out of the inning. I know that. I just remember swinging my little tiny 11-year-old arm at home plate as fast as I can, and the thoughts that's going through my head is, I can't wait to go home and watch City Slickers with my dad. Can't wait to go home, and, and it worked. 
that was, it's a little taste of who my dad is. But like I said, that story has taken on a whole new meaning, uh, a whole deep meaning to me uh, as I've, I was prepping for uh, his memorial service. And I had been reading John 16, 33, which was my dad's favorite scripture as, as long as I could tell. And the verse says this, um, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now we read that and we think, okay, Jesus says, I've told you these things that in me you may have peace. So what are the things that he told them? He must have told them some pretty awesome stuff earlier in the chapter that really like, like eased them. Like, oh, okay, this is going to be good. It's going to be peaceful. And it's, of course, it's the complete opposite. At the beginning of the chapter, this is just days from Jesus being betrayed, um, just days from Jesus being crucified on the cross. And he's pulling his guys in. He's pulling his closest friends and his disciples. And he's saying, guys, it's about to get rough. And you guys are going to be scattered and you guys are going to be hated and you're going to be vilified and you're going to be so despised, so hated that the people who kill you will believe that they're doing God a favor. And not only that, but I'm going to leave and I have to go and you guys just aren't going to have me around anymore. And he goes on to explain to them that if I go, I'll send the helper, which is the Holy Spirit. Um, but you can imagine the disciples don't have the benefit we have of seeing the whole entirety of, of Scripture, the whole entirety of that story. And you can imagine the sorrow that is going through them in that moment. They're, they're not only hearing news of, of t- times are going to be rough and it's going to be brutal, but that your main buddy, your main guy, isn't going to be around anymore. And they're, they're probably going through a really hard time just processing all that. And then Jesus kind of brings a little bit of, he confuses them a little bit, and he speaks a little bit in riddles, and he says, in a little while you won't see me, and then again in a little while you will see me. And, and they don't know what to make of that. And so they're asking each other, what do you think he meant by that? Well, what do you think he meant by that? And Jesus perceives that uh, they're confused. And so he gives them a metaphor. And with this metaphor that I'm about to share, he, he takes their, he begins to grab them and take their gaze off the momentary. He takes their eyes off the circumstances. He even takes their eyes off of the circumstances that are yet to come. He takes their eyes off of, the, their life, their years on this earth. And he begins to lift their heads and set their eyes on the horizon of eternity. And the metaphor is this. He, he says to them that, that this life is like a woman going through labor. It's full of pain. It's full of anguish. It's really hard. It's a struggle. But all of that pain, all of that sorrow, all of that hurting gets swallowed up the moment a new life is born. Joy takes over and washes everything clean and, and, and makes you enjoy it. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that the power of that hope that we have. I remember uh, when Daxton, uh, my wife delivered Daxton. It was an 18-hour just brutal labor. And I remember soon after, one of the nurses, I couldn't believe she asked this, but one of the nurses asked, He's, he's 30 minutes old, 
maybe. Katie just went through like 18 hours of just brutalness. And he asked, or she asked, uh, so how many kids do you think you guys are going to have? And I'm thinking, well, he's the second, so two. And Katie, having just gone through this struggle, looks at me and she's like, I think about four. And it's the joy of that's how quickly it was redeemed. That's how quickly the, it didn't, it didn't hold any weight compared to the joy that we saw. The, the joy of seeing Daxon's face didn't, didn't, or that held so much weight that anything, any pain, any discomfort was like, it was real. It was real pain. It's not like it didn't exist, but you perspective all of a sudden comes into play. Perspective of like what really matters, what really what really holds weight in this life. Paul says it really good in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. This is this is Paul. Remember, this isn't even this is not me speaking. I uh, my hero in life. The, the greatest man that I personally have ever known uh, passing at the age of 61. That's hard. But I, I'm not as arrogant as to say I've suffered what Paul suffered. Paul is saying, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory we do not look to the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul then uh, says again in Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't even worthy. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's this eternal view it's our eyes being set on the, the eternal things, our eternal hope, our eternal peace. You notice in that, that passage, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me, you might have peace. In this life, you're going to have trials and tribulations. You notice he offers peace. He extends peace, but he promises suffering. He promises trial and tribulation. He promises pain. He promises hurt specifically because of what we believe, specifically because we're in a broken world and we're believers declaring the name of Christ, which this, this world wants to war against. He's saying, in all this pain and all this, and it doesn't sound like hope. As I say it, I know it doesn't sound like hope to us naturally. But he's saying, in the midst of all this pain, here's the greater Here's the, the far weightier thing is that you have me. You have a home with me. You have eternity with me. And that weight of glory far outweighs anything we may experience in this life. I'm not saying that I don't hurt and I don't miss my dad. I'm not saying that what you're going through, you, it, it shouldn't affect you at all. We hurt, but we don't stay there. We look to Christ. We keep our eyes on the horizon of eternity, knowing that there will be a day when every tear will be wiped away, that all wrongs will be made right, that he's going to fix it all. And that somehow he's so infinite that he's going to turn wickedness and brokenness and sin back on itself, that it'll be better off 
that it happened because we will see the growing process that happened for those that, that were with Christ, that were pursuing Christ. He worked it out for good. Like how amazing is that? How incredible is our, our father in heaven that he does that? It's only with this eternal view, with the, the, your eyes set on the, the horizon of eternity, that we can, through life's ups and downs, always confidently, with all conviction, conviction declare that God is good. If we, if we have our eyes fixed on uh, the moment, then God, our, our Savior changes in the moment. If I can be brutally honest with you, if, if my eyes are fixed on the moment, then God is definitely good with my dad alive. And God's a little less good when my dad's sick and he's a little less if he's good at all with my dad gone. Or he's, he's good when I pray for the job I want and I get it. And he's not so good when I pray for the job and I don't get it. And he's good when... I ask for my healing and I get it. And he's not so when I don't. And when I want, I pray for this car and I get it, he's good. And when I don't get the car, he's not so good. I can tell you as believers, it doesn't work like that for us. With our eyes fixed on eternity, I can tell you confidently in, in my current sorrow, in my current pain, in my current missing and and longing to see my dad again. I can tell you with all conviction, believing now more than I ever have, that God is good and that God is faithful. Because I'm, my eyes aren't fixed on, well, this right now. Our, our modern, Western, secular culture will tell us, and it's the first culture in history to believe this. And, and because of this, we're the worst culture in history to deal with pain and suffering. We're the first culture in history to believe that the meaning of life is contained within this life itself. Even secular, even other beliefs that aren't true. You think of um, reincarnation or you die and you become part of the one spirit. Every culture has pointed to another, a life outside this life as the meaning of life. Our culture is the first one to say the meaning of life is this life, these years that I have, and that's it. And so then how the only way you can view suffering in that life, in that worldview, is that suffering is simply an inconvenience. It's something that you need to duck and you need to dodge. It's something that, that hinders you from having the life that you were supposed to have, that you were supposed to deserve, the status quo that we all think we'll have, the years that we'll have on the earth, what our income's going to be, the f- kind of family we're going to have. And it, it fully robs us of any ability to deal with pain and suffering. But as we keep rising on eternity, we can then see that suffering can actually serve a purpose that though it's painful, this suffering can, can work in us. We read this in um, Romans 5, uh, starting with uh, chapter 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the peace that we're hearing in, um, in John 16, 33. Christ has come. He's paid the price for us. It's the, the gospel. That he's paid the price for us, that we were enemies with God. Now Christ has stood in our place, paid the price, and now... We have peace with the Father. He calls us friend. He longs for a relationship with us. It says, yes, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. God." And not only that, 
but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Is that this tribulation serves a purpose. That we can see the, the point of the tribulation and, and in the midst of that, with our eyes set on the horizon of, uh, of eternity, we can then unwaveringly say through the good times and through the bad times that God is good and that he is faithful. One of my... Uh, Many memories of my father um, i can 't pinpoint where I would hear this from i 'm sure it was just over years of hearing him say that he was our a worship leader, so i 'm sure I heard it from the pulpit and i 'm sure I heard it like uh, overhearing him doing his devotions, but I can even hear the tone of his voice I can even hear the cadence in his voice, but he would always say. Uh, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. And then later, this is only probably a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, he's very progressed in his dementia. um, And he hasn't said a coherent sentence in a long time and hasn't said a a real word in a long time. And I, I show up to the memory care place and he doesn't even realize I'm there. And I'm just staying about five steps behind him, just following him around. Uh, the memory care facility, make sure he doesn't get into trouble. And he hears something that sounds really familiar. And so I, I go up to him and I, without disturbing him, I try to lean over his shoulder and listen to him. And he's just walking through the, the facility saying, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. And it was just part of him. And if you look at that through the, the, the worldview that is our culture now, that makes no sense. You don't, God is not good right now. Your circumstances aren't good. Things aren't good. The family's hurting over this. You're sick. Things aren't good. But his eyes, even in the fog of it all, his eyes are fixed on eternity. And he knew that even as his brain is fading, he knew over years and years of, of knowing that, that uh, God, you're so good. He had a 32-year career in law enforcement. You ask law enforcement here, the name of the game there is not looking for the the best neighborhoods and where things are going good. You're seeing the underbelly of society. And so as he would see this day in and day out in his work, his eyes were fixed on eternity, knowing that God is good, never becoming callous, never becoming turned off to God, are you, are you actually good because this world is falling apart? But he would look to God knowing that, God, you're going to work this for good as I pursue you. You're my, you're my hope in the future. And so here we are. I don't know what your situation is. I know what my situation is. You all know what my situation is. But I, again, I'm not as so arrogant as to, I'm the only one here that has something going on that hurts. I'm the only one that has something I'm suffering. I know you all have things that are going on. We all have sick family members. We all have marriages that are, that are rough right now. Kids that are astray, um, jobs that are rough, finances that are not working out. It's not adding up. So collectively we stand 
on this pitching mound of life, feeling like it's an island in the middle of the ocean, absolutely frustrated, eyes full of tears, wondering when in the world will this inning end? When is this season going to be over? How do I get out of this? I don't have my own strength to get out of this. How am I going to get out of this? I will be stuck in this sorrow. I'll be stuck in this pain. I'm going to be stuck in this situation forever. I see no way out. And it's in that moment that our good, good, good father comes to us and he lifts our head and he fixes our eyes on eternity. And he says, hey, let me give you some perspective. This inning is not going to last forever. I know you feel like it is. But at some point, you're going to go home with me. And there'll be a warm couch, probably ice cream in the freezer, and we'll sit and we'll watch City Slickers together. Don't, I know it hurts. I know it's painful, but there's more. You can get through it. And what's, what's incredible is my dad didn't bail me out. My dad didn't come out and say, hey, let me, uh, let's bring someone else in. He left me in. I went through, it was, granted, I'm older now, and I understand that losing a baseball game or walking a few guys home in the scheme of life is not very traumatic. But he left me in. He just fixed my eyes. He didn't take away pain. He didn't take away suffering. It was still there, but he took it away in the sense of he fixed my eyes on the the far weightier thing. The far weightier thing was that I'm going to go home. I have a good home. I have a loving father. And I'm going to spend years with him, making more memories. That's That's the good father that we have, that in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our pain, he comes and he reminds us, keep your eyes set on me. This life is but a moment. This life is but a vapor. And I know, believe me, I'm not trying to discredit anybody's hurt. I hurt. My mom hurts. My sister hurts. Our whole family hurts. But we're not staying there. Our eyes are fixed on a Savior who we will be with. And then that empowers us to not run, to not do what our culture does, to run from suffering, to run from pain, to try to dodge it at all costs. But it empowers us to run headlong into pain, into suffering, into other people's pain, into other people's suffering, and get into our culture, as we hear from our pastor week after week after week, of making an impact in our world, stepping into the mud and the muck of life and making an impact, knowing that it's going to be hard. You notice Jesus wasn't quiet. That's not good news to hear. So he tells them, like, guys, it's going to be rough. It's going to be hard. 
But he, even as he's telling them, he knows the greater hope he's giving them of him, Jesus Christ, in me, you'll have hope. And that all these trials and tribulations will, will fail in comparison to that. There's two, two more things that kind of blow me away about as the Holy Spirit has run this verse and this story of my childhood together. Is one, I don't remember if we won or lost that game. And in life, we like to label everything with our wins and our losses. We like to say, oh, he got his healing, we won. Oh, he didn't. He died, we lost. We got the job, we won. We didn't get the job we prayed for, we lost. And we, and we go through this trying to gauge this, label everything. And I can tell you, life is not that clean. Life is not that orderly. But what's the greater is that us as believers, we always have a win. We always have that W. Is that my dad could have gotten healed, say the Lord chose to heal him, and he would be here today. That's a win. My dad gets his eternal healing, and, and, and through his death, more people are being ministered to. That's a win. My, I guarantee you my dad would say that. My dad would say that in his right mind. Is that the wins and losses that you're chalking up in life, you win because of eternity. Don't let your, don't let you and I both, let's not let our prayer life, what we're asking of God, just be asking for more and more pillows in life. More and more comforts. It's, he, he tells us to bring our request to him. And, and believe me, I prayed for my dad's healing. It's good to, to speak to our father and tell him what our hearts are. But understand, it's what you believe. It is inherent. If you live that out, life will be rough. You will have pain. You will have suffering. You will have sorrow. And dodging will not work. Look to him. He's our hope. The other thing that, that this gives me so much hope is as an 11-year-old, that was real pain. Those were real tears that were coming down my face. It was real frustration. I can feel it. I can remember it today. And it's amazing to me that this many years removed, seeing life more clearly, being older, seeing really what's important in life and what's not. It's so neat how I look back on what was, that was real pain. I look back on that fondly, that because of the good father that my dad was, over time, I've seen things more clearly, and now I see, oh, that's such a great story. I love thinking about a time where I was hurting. It's bizarre to think about, and it gives me hope now in this situation, now with my dad uh, dying, feeling like that was the wrong guy. He was such a special guy, touched so many lives. He was just so special, but then it makes me think someday— Years down the road, 
in eternity, when I see things all for what they really are and, and my, my perspective is so much greater, I'm going to look back on this time, this pain, which is also real, and I'm going to look back on it fondly. Seeing the, the impact that it had on my life, seeing the impact as the Holy Spirit uh, chooses to use my father, chooses to use me and, and speak to different people. So my hope and my prayer for you is this, is that I don't know what inning you're in currently, and it could be an awesome inning. You could be killing it. You could be pitching a shutout, and that's great. In that moment, you know what you need to do? Declare God is good and that God is faithful, and you use the blessings that he's given you, that he's blessed you with, to point to him that he's the source of all those. And if you're in my situation... You don't get angry at the people that are, that are blessed, but you take hold of the life that God's given you and blessed you with to use for his glory. And you say that even in loss, I'm going to say the same person this, thing, this person's saying, and I'm going to say God is good and God is faithful because both of us are looking to eternity. Both of us see that the far weightier thing is, is spending and turning with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you're going through suffering, I don't, uh, it's, okay to, it's okay to hurt. It's okay to be sad. I, I, want, I wish my dad were here. But like I said, we don't, we don't stay there. We look to an eternity, to our, to our heavenly father, who is our hope and who one day is going to make every wrong right and is going to dry every tear. And I can, uh, I can confidently say to you that even though at this very moment, my eyes are full of tears, they are fixed on eternity. And so I'm going to have the, I'm going to have the worship team come up and we are going to close very briefly with uh, some some time of prayer and a song together. And I'll be down here. Prayer team will be down here and we can pray together. It's, I love that we close with prayer and it's especially uh, a blessing to me today because my dad was a, a man of prayer. He loved talking to his heavenly father. Um, but let us be challenged in this. If we have a prayer life, if we're praying, let's take inventory and are our lips full of just petitions of God from us to God asking him for more pillows in life? Are we simply pursuing comforts? You know, Christ didn't say to these, to the disciples, this is your hope is that everything is going to go well that you're just going to have the easiest life ever. And that's going to be our witness as believers is that as all the world is trying to find comfort and, and hope in all the baubles and trinkets of this world, you're actually going to have them. And that's, that's our hope. He didn't say that. And, and do we find ourselves as believers chasing the same thing as the world and just having Jesus on the side? We look no different. We just 
talk about Jesus a little bit, but we chase the same exact thing. Or are we the people who are running into the conflict, who are running into sorrow, who are running into pain, who are running into hard conversations, who are engaging with our community in hard places, in our, with our schools, who are having hard conversations because we're empowered with the fact that this is all a moment. And not only can we take it for a moment, but he's empowered us. He's equipped us. So he's going to empower us for that moment of pain. He's going to empower us for it. And then the next thing you know, we're all going to be in heaven. We're going to be rejoicing and we're going to look back. And I'm so blessed to have such a great man in my life that I, I get to call my father who lived this vapor of a life for others. And now as he sees clearly, as he sees everything, even his own disease, sees what, what a good God we have. And he sees how the Lord is using it already. He sees how the Lord is, is taking pain and editing that story so that it's, it's better off that it happened. And it, I know it doesn't make sense in our minds, but that's so cool that the God of the heaven and the earth is maybe a little bit smarter than all of us. So would you guys stand with me for just 30 seconds, a minute? Let's stretch in prayer. Uh, would you grab somebody next to you? And would you just pray a simple prayer? Ask, ask the Lord to, uh, to show you what he's individually equipped you for to minister in our community, to your family, to your friends, to this world, that we would be about it, that we wouldn't be just more people chasing the comforts and the baubles and the trinkets of this life, but we would be people on mission that through the good and through the bad, we're chasing and we're running after our Lord and Savior, knowing that eternity awaits and that we're not, uh, we don't need to be fearful Lord Jesus, I love you and I praise you. And, and God, I, I, I'm, I'm amazed, one, Lord, that you would, you would speak through me. Um, Lord, not only at dad's funeral, but now three times and, and knowing, God, I couldn't get through this once. I thank you for your power. And Lord, I, I ask that your Holy Spirit would take over, that your Holy Spirit would overshadow me, that your Holy Spirit would overshadow my dad and that his life and my life would point to you and that the, uh, Lord, I pray the hero of the day would be Christ. Lord, challenge us and stretch us and move us and mold us. Would you speak to us now in just these few uh, short minutes we have together as a family? I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.